Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 52 with Christina Zenos. You know, not not everyone has the luxury uh, to hire a personal chef, and I only can have so many clients at once. It's really important to me that people have the confidence to cook and can feed themselves and their families in a sustainable way, um, in, in a way that's, you know, healthy for them. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. On this episode, we have Christina Zenos. She's a Los Angeles-based personal chef and owner of Sweet Greek Personal Chef Services. She's also a recipe developer, does cooking classes, and is the co-author of OPA, the Healthy Greek Cookbook. She was also recently on an episode of A New Leaf on NBC and the cooking channel's Food, Fact, or Fiction. We discuss Greek cooking, getting on a national TV show, how COVID-19 has impacted her personal chef business, and cooking at the James Beard House. Thanks to this week's sponsors, Tyler Wright, Danny Spletter, Ron Krieger, Cafe Bueno, Little Fig Bake Shop, Maryland Bakes, and the Savory Spoon Catering Company. If you want to support the show, our Venmo name is C-H-E-F-W-O-R-E-S-T-O-S. If you enjoy the show, have ever received a job through one of our referrals, have been a guest, been given complimentary Chefs Without Restaurants swag, or simply want to help, it would be much appreciated. Feel free to let us know if you have any questions. Thanks so much, and have a great weekend. All right, welcome everyone. This is Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Today we have Christina Zenos. She is a Los Angeles-based personal chef and owner of Sweet Greek Personal Chef Services. She's also a recipe developer, does cooking classes, and is the co-author of OPA, the Healthy Greek Cookbook. She was also recently on an episode of A New Leaf on NBC and the cooking channel's Food Factor Fiction. Hey, Christina, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on here. So I want to just kind of jump right into it. Um, Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, personally, professionally, uh, how you got into cooking and how you started your business? Amazing. Uh, I'm a personal chef. I'm based in Los Angeles. I This is my, I guess, my second career. I was a journalist um, before this. I worked for Wear Magazine uh, for 11 years, and I started their digital publishing program in Southern California. So I started their website, and then I covered uh, the LA market for them. And when I was doing that, a lot of it was food, uh, restaurant, and chef related. And I always had a love for cooking. I think anyone who grows up in a Greek family um, has that in them. And it really made me want to circle back and go to culinary school. So even so while I was working at the magazine, I went, um, I, I went to culinary school. So I did 20 weeks of pro cooking and 20 weeks of pro baking at the new school of cooking in Los Angeles. And it just, I mean, I already knew how to cook, but it gave me the confidence um, to cook at a professional level. So that's kind of how it started. And then I've always been really entrepreneurial and I learned about personal shopping and it seemed like the right way to go to, to be in food at this juncture. Um, and I, I really just, I love cooking for people, but I, re- I really love the recipe side as well. And I love developing and modifying recipes, making them healthy, always 
making them very tasty for my, you know, the people who read my recipes and for my clients. So you never really wanted to get into working as a line cook in a restaurant, it sounds like. (laughs) Uh, My first job ever, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. And I, my family, we lived down the street from NCR Country Club. And we all know NCR, they make national cash register. Um, They make a lot of the cash registers you still, you know, that you see in in grocery stores everywhere. Um, They had a country club. And when I was 15, I started, I worked banquets and I worked in the kitchen as an expediter. And that was in the 90s. And I was really young. And it was just, you know, it was a fun environment. But, you know, when I was in my late 30s, it was maybe an environment I, I wasn't excited to go back to. And I'm, you know, really laid back and I like to be, I like to be the one in charge. So it was, it just made more sense to start running my own business. (laughs) I do love restaurants and, and, you know, it would have been a fun path to be on had I started um, in my twenties as a line cook, but I just, at this point in my life, I I just didn't really want to go back to that. Yeah. And a lot of people start younger. And then by the time they hit their 30s and getting into their 40s, have decided the lifestyle is not something that's really conducive to having a family or just physical, mental health, all those kind of things, which is why, you know, I have so many members of my Chefs Without Restaurants community because they just, for whatever reason, don't want to work in restaurants. Yeah, I have mad respect for anyone who does. Um, I just, yeah, I was at a point in my life where I like the personal, the personal aspect of personal shopping is is really what what drew me to it. So I work really, you know, just very, very closely with my clients. I tailor everything that I make uh, to their dietary preferences, to, you know, what they, you know, their taste preferences. And it's, you know, I cooked for a client yesterday and I sat down with them for a half an hour and we talked about the food I was making, the recipes that they, you know, wanted in the future. And it's just, it's nice to just be able to have the opportunity to, to work one-on-one with people and, you know, make them really happy. So that's, I, I love doing that. So what does your client base look like? Are they people on a recurring schedule where you're cooking for them every week or a couple of days a week or uh, just kind of like independent catering events or a mix of both? I do both. And so, but what I really love to do, I have, um, I have a slate of regular clients. Usually I work with them about once a week. I do have a couple people who are just, they're single and they don't require um, as much. So normally I will, will go into uh, my clients' homes and cook anywhere from three and five entrees at one time. And, um, and then I, they, you know, they hire me because either they don't have time to cook, they don't want to cook, or they have, you know, they have allergies, they have extremely restrictive diets. I have a client right now who he's gluten-free, he has a nut allergy, a soy allergy, um, and he can't have dairy or eggs. So that is, you know, if I were a person that wasn't so into cooking, that would just be um, paralyzing for me to try to cook for myself or even try to eat out with the cross-contamination and issues and not knowing exactly what's in food. So that's where he calls me. And then I obsess about his menus. And it's it's such an interesting troubleshooting opportunity for me to make things taste good for him and allowing him to eat and enjoy food without you know, being petrified that he's going to have an allergic reaction. So, so yeah, I mean, every, anywhere from families to individuals um, and, and things like that. So I really, you know, a lot of people want to lose weight. My other favorite client is I do a lot of work for women who um, have just had babies. So postpartum services. And I love those clients because I can, you know, be in there with them. And for my, one of my clients, I was there the day they brought their baby home from the hospital and these women, you know, they need to eat and they need to eat well and they need a lot of calories. So 
as opposed to my clients who don't want to eat any carbs at all, I get to make pasta dishes and lasagnas and, you know, all kinds of really, really fun stuff for them. So that's, that's so fun. Obviously you specialize in Greek cuisine, but I'm sure you do a lot of non-Greek food with your customers. Uh, but yeah. what are, what are some of your favorite dishes? I mean, are there special dishes that your customers really love that play to the, the Greek cooking? Absolutely. I, I make um, a lot of uh, pastizo and moussaka for people. So pastizo is, you know, it's more, most similar to a lasagna. So it's um, pasta with bechamel and um, a meat sauce. So the pasta is on the bottom, the meat sauce is in the middle, the bechamel is on the top. And it's different from lasagna because when Greek people make meat sauces, we use a lot of warming spices like cinnamon, nutmeg, and allspice. So my clients really like that. Um, Musaka is very similar to pastizo, but it's made with eggplant, um, sometimes eggplant and zucchini or eggplant and tomato, um, meat sauce, and then the bechamel on top as well. And then I think what my signature dish would be my spanakopita, and that's a spinach pie, spinach and feta, scallions and herbs, um, and in between layers of phyllo dough. And so whenever I make that, people are very happy. I had a, a Greek client uh, last year, and I was making spanakopita for her every week. I saw your episode of A New Leaf and you were teaching them how to make, make that and it looked so delicious. It yeah. was so great. It was so fun to have them over and we just had a blast in the kitchen and it's, you know, they had, you know, made it, but everyone's recipe is a little different. So I love kind of showing people my perspective and uh, I, I mean, I, my Spanakopita is my, my, actually my Aunt Margie's Spanakopita is my favorite. And that seems like something that's kind of, um, daunting, I guess, if you've never made it, you know, I think there's always a fear of cooking another cuisine that you're not used to that you don't yes. grow up. Like when I think about making that, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I even want to go down that route. Yeah, I think especially with the phyllo dough, a lot of people aren't used to handling it. So once I think you have the confidence with that, and when I, I teach spanakopita classes um, in person and online and and once I, you know, it's, you know, just give people the confidence that, you know, phyllo is actually really forgiving. And even if you get a bad batch that, you know, might be dry and falling apart, you can still work with it. And I show them, you know, some tricks to, to working with it. And I think, you know, then they feel more confident to branch out and make their own spanakopita or any other um, pies that require phyllo. So, and then if they really, really hate it, I tell them they can make it with puff pastry. It's a little different, but there's, there's a way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do a lot of cooking classes and who are they for? Are they for like existing clients that they want to have a party or do you host them in some kitchen somewhere in town? Before COVID, I was doing um, a lot of, I was, you know, going into people's homes um, and teaching them. A lot of times, you know, people just, they want to familiarize, they've either never cooked or this is, you know, they're in a new kitchen or I had a, a woman who came from Armenia who just wasn't used to, you know, kitchens in the U.S. or, you know, grocery shopping. So, you know, we did all the grocery shopping together. Then we went back to her kitchen and, you know, we, I just familiarized her with, you know, her pots and pans and her stove. And we made, you know, Greek and Armenian cuisine have a lot of overlap. So she was able to pick recipes and we would make, you know, three different recipes um, every time I went in there. And that was really fun. So I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work, um, a little less so now with COVID, but um, so I kind of pivoted and switched to online so people can hire me for a private session and we can do about, you know, two or three dishes, depending on, you know, the, the recipe and how much time they have. I also do, I, you know, once or twice a month, I, I'll post a cooking class um, and we'll do one recipe. So last week we did um, a 
it's uh it's called kolokitho ketedes in greek but it's a zucchini patty um so we did um a, a class uh, on zoom for that and it's just kind of one we, we made some tzatziki to go with it too but they're really kind of quick and easy recipes the classes are about an hour an hour and a half long so you can do both um and then before before covid i also uh had some classes through uh, a website called Eat With, which is really wonderful. It's all over the world, and it's it's hosts um, in their specific city hosting dining experiences and cooking classes. So I had um, people. So you, I would list my experience online, and people would buy tickets, and then they come to my house, and we would do the cooking class there. And that's how I do my pop up dinners as well. Um, so there's that. And then we have a cooking school in LA that I've taught Greek. Uh, cooking classes too as well so it's uh it's a variety of, of things and I love connecting with people and showing them how to make the recipes and it's a blast and you have a large blog component to your website with lots mm-hmm. of recipes so it sounds like someone you're someone who really loves teaching people how to cook how yeah. important was that when you were setting up your website that you would have a place to share recipes is that something you always wanted to do and have be a, a part of your business yeah, I mean, the reason I called my business Sweet Greek Personal Chef Services is because I first had the aspiration to have the blog before I even started my cooking business. And that was just the domain I had. And it seemed, you know, like a good nexus uh, for everything. So I had the blog even before the cooking business. And then I just, you know, kind of rearranged things. But, you know, not not everyone has the luxury uh, to hire a personal chef. And I only can have so many clients at once. It's really important to me that people have the confidence to cook and can feed themselves and their families in a sustainable way um, and in a way that's, you know, healthy for them. I think, you know, just seeing, you know, the, the range of health problems we're having right now in the U.S. and, and all over the world. Um, people eating highly processed foods. I would, you know, just because they don't think they have time to to have something fresh. So they, you know, put in a frozen pizza and, you know, there's always a time and a place for frozen pizza, but you can't, you know, I just, I would prefer them, you know, not to have to do that every day. And, and knowing that if you have a few simple ingredients, you can come home and within a half hour, you can have food on the table for your family. People just need a road roadmap and confidence to get there. And I try to, show them that, you know, something that looks beautiful doesn't have to be complicated. So that's why it's really, it's the, the cooking videos and the website are really important for me to, to teach people that they can, they can do it and they can do it, you know, pretty easily. We're making pizza at home tomorrow. And I think that's one of those things that scares people. And it's pizza dough is literally just flour and water. You know, it might have yeah, a pinch of hard. salt. Sometimes people put olive oil and then my sauce is just San Marzano tomatoes, hand crushed with a little olive yep. oil, you know, and than cheese. And it's really easy. And I think, you know, I'm a big fan of like pan pizza. So just take up a quarter pan and put a little oil and and you can do that. And I think people teaching them how to do that. So I've done a lot of tutorials on doing pizza during quarantine now because I wanted people to figure out how to be able to do that. Um, So how did your business change during COVID? Like, did you have to change best practices or how you're interacting with your customers and going into the houses and stuff. I mean, we're all dealing with that. So I assume you have a little of that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's all been, I mean, I look at this year as just uh, a constant evolution and I learned early on that you can't plan for everything, I guess you, you know, so I was in, I was actually in Sicily um, for, from January until March. I was doing Cook the Farm at the Anataskalanza Cooking School because I wanted to 
uh, study food systems in the Mediterranean. And it's a fantastic program. And we studied everything from wheat cultivation to wine production, vine pruning, you know, everything. And then uh, I can't, I mean, just can't say enough about it. It was just uh, an amazing experience. Um, but once, you know, the coronavirus started taking hold in Italy, uh, we had to pivot really fast. And we weren't quite able to finish our, our eight weeks there. So then I had to come back to the, the U.S., but I couldn't come back to L.A. because we had a tenant in our house here. So my husband was in New York with his family, so I had to go to New York. Then I just slowly you know, kind of saw everything dissipate with the lockdown orders in LA. I knew I couldn't, you know, be here to cook for my clients. And frankly, my clients, you know, didn't want me, you know, they don't, they were on, you know, really hardcore lockdown. They weren't leaving, they were getting everything delivered and I wasn't able to operate my business. And slowly as things have started to loosen, um, I've been able to get back with pretty strict protocols, you know, just everything from, you know, wearing a mask the whole time, which is, extremely difficult when you're cooking and trying to smell and, you know, taste things and, and then just extreme sanitation and, um, you know, scrubbing everything down. So, you know, just not wearing, you know, I have a pair of shoes that I wear just in my client's house. I wash them um, after every time I cook and, you know, just, you know, extreme sanitation, um, being really careful at grocery stores. I only go to grocery stores that have really um, strict protocols in place with how many people they let in at a time. And, you know, they have, uh, you know, just uh, like Trader Joe's in, in LA, we, um, you know, they have arrows on the ground that you, you know, you follow to maintain social distancing and things like that. But it makes me feel a lot safer, especially when I'm out, you know, three or four times a week at a grocery store, which, you know, most people are not. So, um, so yeah, I've pivoted in that way. And, you know, I, I'm happy that I'm back cooking in people's homes. And then, um, I'm, you know, instead of hosting cooking classes on site, I've been pivoting over to Zoom and, and that's been, you know, really fun and, and, and it's not the same, but it's still great because now I can connect with people all over the world. So I had a cooking class last Saturday. I had people from, you know, the East Coast, New York and Philly, and then I had someone from London. So it's, it's been great. I mean, I, I love it. Yeah, it's weird what you give up in, in person you gain with access, right? It's kind of like the podcast. I don't know that I would ever have had you on this show because who knows how we would meet up in either LA or out here in Maryland. And now it's like, well, you know, I love the sound of the show in person and the feel is great, but I'm also getting to interview these people from all over the world now over. that I never would have had a chance. So you figure out how to adapt, right? Yeah, I think it's it's all about adaptability and it's all about, you know, if something doesn't go the way that you had planned to just be okay with it. And you know, figure out a new way. And, you know, when I left Sicily, I had five plane tickets because I just didn't know what flight was going to take off. And it's just, you know, knowing that we just, we've never had anything like coronavirus in our lifetime before. So it's you know, just knowing that your decision might not be the right one, but it's okay. And, and just figuring out, you know, your own way and, and, and just feeling okay about it. Cause you know, it's hard to when you don't have all the information or you don't have the experience to base a decision on, you know, finding a way to do it and, and being okay if it wasn't the right one. <laughs> That's for sure. Being flexible, right? Flexibility yeah. is the big word right now. Flexibility and adaptability. It's uh, that's all that you have right now. And some would argue, I mean, we should have probably been thinking about this a, a little more. I mean, I think some businesses were really well prepared for this. I mean, mm -hmm. as prepared as you can be, but some businesses right. are always evolving and always thinking of the next thing. And then a lot of businesses don't, and they just kind of 
got caught in this oops scenario where now they're backpedaling trying to play catch up. Yeah, I think so. I feel my friends, you know, a lot of my friends who are into like catering large events, they they switched over to take out and some, you know, farm box stuff uh, where people could pick up groceries and stuff. And it's, it's not the same, but they were able to pivot. But yeah, I mean, certain industries got hit, you know, the event industry just got decimated and restaurants. I mean, my friends who have restaurants here in LA are you know, just really stressed out right now because yesterday we had to close them down again. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really it's a really strange time. Um, I hope I hope it ends soon. <laughs> Me too. So I know you have the one cookbook. Do you have plans for another cookbook to come out? Yeah. So my friend Emily and I came up. Uh, Emily was in Greece a couple years ago and was there for the saffron harvest. Um, so in northern Greece. Um, near Thessaloniki, there's a group of villages um, in the Kozani area where they harvest a lot of saffron and she has these beautiful pictures. So um, the beginning, uh, or actually late last year, we I came up with about, I think, 10 recipes and we shot them and uh, we're working on a saffron cookbooklet, like a small cookbook that should come out um, in the next couple months. And then um, I put together just a list of my, I think it's going to be 12 or 15 favorite summer recipes since not many of us will be able to travel to Greece this summer. I wanted to bring Greece to you and, um, that will be available really soon as a download, a free download on my website. So if you go to my website, you can just type your name into like the email box and then I can email you when that's ready to be downloaded. So it's just, um, you know, like, you know, just the base, everything basic from a village salad to I do these, um, it's called Imambialdi. It's a stuffed eggplant with tomatoes and feta cheese. So the quintessential recipes that you'll, you would be eating at a seaside taverna and uh, that we're, we're all missing right now. Um, and then like lobster pasta, which is my favorite thing to eat in Greece uh, during the summer. So I'll have all that ready soon for people to download and create Greece at home um, in their own kitchens. <laughs> and the idea that you're doing it for free, just again, because you love sharing recipes yeah. with people. And, you know, I think that's great giving them a little something right now when there's so little out there for people, you know? Well, we're all cooking whether we want to or not more than ever before. So <laughs> it's uh, my mom is going crazy. You know, she's like, I am so sick of cooking and finding new ideas. So it's just, I, I like to point her to new ideas and, and just give people, you know, new ideas so they can get out of the same stuff over and over again. Because I think it's just exhausting when you're cooking three meals a day and you're trying to find, you know, new ideas. And it's it's my passion. I'm fine with it. But I know that's not what everyone wants to be doing all the time. Yeah, I have... Uh twins at home who are almost eight. My in-laws oh my also live with us. So they're six in the house. And today at lunch, we made four separate lunches. Like I used to never have to do any of that. My wife went to work and my kids went to school. And now today, like after we deal with breakfast, then it's lunch. And it's like, I had tacos for lunch. And then my son had a bowl of soup and my wife made a quesadilla and my daughter had like an egg and cheese bagel. It's like, mm -hmm. this is so much work just doing lunch for four people. And now I've got to turn around and do dinner for six people again tonight. When am I going to get anything done? I mean, I can totally sympathize with you. When I was with my husband's family in New York, there were eight of us. There were his parents, his sister, her husband, and their two kids who are in high school, and and my, myself and my husband. And you know, Angelo, her husband, and I, you know, we split cooking dinner every day. But then, yeah, lunch came around, and 
I mean, people, it was just, you would, I would just sit in the kitchen because that's where I would set up with my computer and just like watch the wave of people <laughs> you know, just come in and thank goodness they have two dishwashers because we were constantly running dishes and loading and emptying the dishwasher and, and just um, constantly cooking and cleaning up. And it was, it's just crazy. But I have enjoyed cooking more at home. You know, it's given me a chance to do some some fun cooking with the family, teaching my kids to cook a little bit. Definitely That's some R and D stuff. You know, again, keeping the the blog component going. I was kind of running dry for a while because work has been really had been really good. So not really having the time to try new right. dishes, type them out, photograph them, all sure. that stuff. So I've I've been able to do a little bit of that, which is nice. I mean, it would also be nice to be getting paid more. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just now we know, like, and then you know, you know, the work will eventually come back, and 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 it's at least that was what I was telling myself in the spring. I, I'm like, I know it's going to come back, so this time, this is the time I'm going to come up with new recipes, like get everything else down and on the blog, and and you know, kind of you know, just organize everything and and get it ready to go. And and it was you know fun to have that time. I was doing like two cooking videos a week. It was it was really great and. And I rarely have that time. I also was, you know, baking sourdough bread, which everyone was doing, but I'd never had that time before. So so how did you end up on both an NBC TV show and the cooking channel? I mean, I'm sure people kind of want to know what's the secret sauce to getting on a, a major TV program. It's partly being in LA and, and they film a lot of that here. Um, for the cooking channel, I had hosted a pop-up dinner through Eat With. And the showrunner and the the director came um, to my pop up. They wanted you know to do a Greek dinner, and they and their friends came, and it went over really well. And then they were doing a show about um, it was I think it was last season, and the theme of the show was all about Chicago. And um, saganaki saganaki is is a dish all over Greece, but it was first flambéed in Chicago, so that is not it's not a Greek thing. The Greeks never really did that, but there was a guy in Chicago who wanted to add a little extra pizzazz. So he, you know, brought up the cheese and set it on fire. And so I was the the Greek expert um, on that segment um, for the, the Food Factor Fiction, which was super fun to film. And then um, for A New Leaf, the producer, uh, John and Peter were both of Greek descent. So A New Leaf, sorry, it was on um, NBC. It was the kind of the more you know. So it's educational programming on Saturday mornings. And this was um, in partnership with Ancestry. So the whole theme of A New Leaf is people discovering their ancestry and they create a show around that. And so John and Peter, you know, both had Greek heritage that they discovered through Ancestry. Um, and then they had recently gotten married. So they wanted an activity to do right before their marriage party. So they came over and we all made Svanakopita and then they served Svanakopita at their marriage party, which was really fun. So yeah, the producer, I think, just found my website and um, contacted me. And and I had a video village in my living room a couple of weeks later. So it was, uh, it was really fun, a great experience. I love doing television. And uh, it's it's been great to be able to champion Greek cuisine in that way. And I think another good reason to have a blog component of your website, I mean, it's obviously good for SEO and finding you know, people finding you on the internet when they Google Greek cuisine or Greek chef or something like that. It seems like you have a large fan base. You have like 22, 23,000 followers on Instagram or something like that. How did that happen? And when did you start your Instagram and how did it grow? 
I, you know, I started it in 2012, so it's been around for a while and I was posting so much food content when I worked at the magazine. And I think just being in the early days of it and being interactive with everyone. And then even so when I pivoted mostly to doing recipes and food and finding my niche um, in Greek food, that's, uh, that has really helped grow uh, my following as well. Uh, So it's, I think it was easier when you started out because people wanted to follow more people. And now it's, uh, now it's, you know, gaining followers is, you know, hard, but it's really important to me just to connect with the ones that I have and, and doing that in an authentic way and, and posting good content for them and inspiring them. Um, and just being there. I love doing Instagram stories cause I can't always, I don't know. I like, I like to over curate things. That's just me. So like, if I don't have the right photo, I, I won't post that, but I'll do stories all day long. So yesterday I was in my client's home and I was, you know, I roasted a chicken for her. I fried chicken for her. And it's just fun to like put those little bits up on stories. And, uh, it, you know, I love, I just love connecting with people there. And I've met so many people around, I've like, met you and I met just, you know, so many fun people around the world from like Morocco and Egypt and, you know, Australia. And it's just, it's so fun to connect with people and Instagram being that vehicle is, it's amazing. It's like when you see someone at the grocery store that you kind of recognize and you don't know if you know them, know them or internet know them. And now, and now we're all wearing the mask. So I go to the grocery store and, and, you know, I'm obscured. I got my glasses and my hat on and this mask and you just make eye contact with someone. You're like, I kind of feel like I know them from the internet and I don't know. I just don't want to go over and say hi right now. So I'll just kind of give like a nod. It's like your brain does something. I had this, this experience where I was at an engagement party for my husband's friend in Beverly Hills and I was getting a drink at the bar and saw Seth Rogen rock walked over. And I like, my brain was like, you know, this person. And I was like, Oh, Hey. And then I was like, Oh, I don't know you. (laughs) But my brain knew you. And now I know who you are and I definitely don't know you. And then I felt really weird. Um, yeah uh, I've also said hey to someone who I thought it was someone I knew it's like hey how's it going like hey do I know you I'm like yeah Josh right and they're like no I'm like oh that's kind of awkward sorry (laughs) so I see that you did a dinner at the James Beard house is that right you did yeah how exciting was that I mean as a chef that seems like something I've always wanted to do I've I've never been invited there and maybe someday but um what was that experience like and how did you end up doing that yeah, it was epic. It wasn't my dinner. So I'll say that it wasn't I, I, I was invited to cook there. It was not me who was the main chef. So but it was still an amazing opportunity. I'm a, a member of La Dames de Escoffier, which is an international women's organization of um, culinary, culinary people. So anywhere from people who write about food to chefs to people who work in food PR. Um, and so it's been around for um, a really long time. And my actually my mother in law was also a member um, in her time in the seventies and eighties. And, and so, um, they did, I, I think it was, I can't, I don't know exactly who organized it, but it was the Southern Aegean, um, council and they hooked up with the James Beard house and La Dames de Escoffier and, um, Ardio, um, Babariju, who is a, she's basically the godmother of Greek cuisine. Um, she, was invited to cook at the James Beard house and La Dames put together a team of chefs. So my writing partner, Theo Stefan and I from the West coast, um, two chefs from South Florida and then two chefs from New York, we all came together and supported her and her team. And it was incredible. Um, it was a lot of work, but she argue is like 
the best one most wonderful person to to work with and it was really cool to to be able to cook her recipes and it was an insane amount of food that we made and I mean if you've ever seen that kitchen it's so small <laughs> it's just what people pull off in that kitchen is pretty incredible and it was um it was March of 2018 there is still some insane storms that were rolling through. So there's like a huge snowstorm when we were there, um, like the day before. So things got really weird with um, just logistics and produce being delivered and, and things like that. But the whole, we did a media lunch for I think 60 people in the afternoon. And then we did an 80 person dinner um, in the evening. And it was the most insane and most wonderful day of my life. And I am so thankful to have that experience and, I hope to be there again in some capacity one day, but just, just wonderful. My mother-in-law was there with my husband, which was really wonderful. And uh, I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. That sounds amazing. I can't imagine. And, and cooking with someone like that, you know, how cool. I would, almost, I would almost rather go and cook with someone else like that than go and be the one and just kind of be able to be in their presence. Yeah, I was really happy to not have to handle any logistics. And I was just, you know, I was there offering, you know, I knew and I understood the recipes. And actually, I we made my my dish that I handled was the lamb fricassee, which I make all the time. It was fun to see her spin on it. Um, and it was just it was really special to to be able to to work there in that context, though, and work under her and champion these recipes. But yeah, I was really glad I didn't have to like coordinate any of that. And then we, you know, so basically anyone who does the dinners there, they have to do a whole lot of prep beforehand. So the day before we were, you know, prepping everything at this huge catering kitchen in lower Manhattan. And I've never, you know, done anything of that magnitude before. So it was really interesting to see how that all worked out. But it was like, you know, we were prepping the lamb and then we were just, you know, finally peeling very tiny potatoes for the soup. And it was all really cool. So I, I can't wait. I would love to do that again. I always like to do a speed round. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with before we kind of jump into the speed round? Oh, okay. Um, I just, you can check out my website, mysweetgreek.com and all my info is there. Links to my, my Instagram is xtina, x-t-i-n-a, x-v-n-o-s. So I post um, all my, my videos on Instagram and my recipes on my website. And if you have a question about a recipe, I will answer you. <laughs> We put together really comprehensive show notes, um, both within the, the RSS feed there and across social media. So people will definitely be able to find you. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, reach out, say hi. <laughs> we just like to throw some questions out there to kind of get a feeling for everyone um, with their, what they like, don't like, but I always kind of ask similar questions. So uh, do you have a favorite tool in the kitchen that's maybe accessible for everyone? Like if you recommended a piece of gear, what would it be? Yeah, off the top of my head, I love um, my microplane because I try to microplane everything. Um, I hate chopping garlic, but I love just like finely grating garlic into everything from a salad dressing to like on top of fish. Um, That texture of garlic lets it penetrate um, even more. Um, And I I pretty much zest everything. So if I'm using a lemon in a dish, which I use a lot of lemon, I'm, you know, zesting the lemon and is and using the lemon juice. So I think I think a microplane is pretty underutilized, um, but it's something everyone should have and and use. 
I just noticed yesterday that my blades are getting kind of dull. You know, they get the spots. They're like uh, six inches long, but there seems to be like a three inch spot kind of in the middle where it's dull. And it's like, you have to kind of move to the top or the very bottom. I was doing uh, chocolate, which should shave really easily, but I was shaving dark chocolate on top of my tiramisu. (laughs) And I'm like, why is this blade not shaving the chocolate? This is not how it should be. Do you have a favorite dinner food memory? Like, is there a restaurant or at a family member's house? Is there a meal that jumps out at you as being particularly special? Um, I'm going to say it's my husband and I are hitting our, our next weekend is our fifth anniversary. So we had a really small wedding here. I didn't want to, I didn't want to plan a big wedding, but we also had three weddings so we could, you know, see everybody. <laughs> but for actually actual wedding, we, we went, we rented a house in Topanga Canyon and we had just our immediate family. So there were 11 of us total. And my friend, um, Greg Hazinski, who is the executive chef of Strand House in Manhattan Beach, who had gotten married the weekend before, came up and cooked. You know, we got to work together on the menu and he created this amazing dinner um, of everything that I wanted. So it was like caviar, fresh pasta, beef tartare, an incredible cheese spread. Um I think I can't remember like ribeye camp and just like ridiculous stuff where I was just, I didn't, I mean, I like, I loved my wedding, but I was like, it was all about the food. <laughs> so I, I'm totally with you on that one. We, we catered our own wedding, which seems kind of insane, but really? yeah, my wife, my wife was a chef at the time and our whole wedding party were chefs. So we just rented a big house on Cape Cod and for the week, it was just like a whole crew of chefs. My best man was a chef. Um, groomsmen. Oh so we just went and bought all the stuff and catered ourselves. And I think I would still do that again today. I mean, it seems a little crazy. There's some things I do differently, but being a bit of a control freak and a, a big fan of food, I don't think I'd want it any other way. Yeah, I made my own wedding cake. I made a, a carrot cake, but the problem was the house. We couldn't get the air conditioner to work really well. And air conditioning in LA, no one thinks you need it, but that day was a little warm and the, the frosting kept melting off the cake. And I was like, trying to do my hair and makeup and then ice the cake. And Greg was just laughing at me and uh, he's like, I'll help you. And I was like, you can't help me. I'm going to do it. (laughs) That's literally the only thing we didn't do. We paid for someone to make the cake. I am not that crazy. It was fun. I love making cakes. It was fun. I enjoy them, but they don't look the way my cakes are delicious. I think if I do say so myself, but the icing technique needs a lot of work. So that's something that I've continued to work on myself. Um, do you have any favorite culinary resources that aren't yours? I mean, obviously people can go to your website and your book, but do you have favorite other cookbooks, websites, chefs to follow? Where where would you recommend people look? Yeah, so for so I'm not really a, a baker. Um, so, I mean, I'm baking a lot of things now, but I wouldn't say that's my specialty. So um, the Sally's Baking Addiction she has her recipes are phenomenal and they work really well. I know, you know, she must test them meticulously because they work for me always. Um, so I love her, um, her. I love her blog. And then um, I, my dear friends in LA, they're called Husbands That Cook. They're really wonderful and they're uh, they're all vegetarian and they have really really fun, modern, you know, delicious recipes. So I love them. And then I mean, so you know, as a personal chef, you know, I'm you know. I, I need to, you know, sometimes make recipes quickly and um, without a lot. I mean, I always test everything, but if I need something that I can't take a lot of time to test, I mean, Ina Garten, you know, Barefoot Contessa, I know she meticulously tests her recipes and I trust them implicitly. So everything I've made from her 
has been pretty spot on and you know they're just they're good they're really i made her fried chicken yesterday and i i loved it it was delicious so those are those are my three uh, right now. <laughs> There's so much information out there. It's almost overload. You know, I have a tendency to want to make fried chicken and then I'll go on the internet and Google it. And it's like, I'm going to go to serious eats and see what they're doing. And they're like, but then I'm going to go check out this recipe from some chef on food, food and wine. And next thing you know, you have like seven recipes and they all have different temperatures it's and different exhausting. techniques. And it, and it is, you can definitely overdo it. And everyone's got an opinion. And at some point you just have to go with one of them. I do have to say serious eats for really technical stuff. So um, I've been making a lot of octopus lately and, and experimenting with that. So I did um, a pressure cooker octopus and then I've done um, sous vide octopus and the, both the pressure cooker and the sous vide from serious eats, the techniques have worked out really well. Uh, sous vide has been by far the best. And yeah, so they said to sous vide the octopus at 175 degrees for five hours and it has turned out like the best octopus I've ever had. So I'm, I'm cooking a party for 4th of July and I have six octopus in my fridge right now that I'm going to sous vide for that party. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Do you do anything after you sous vide it? Do you throw it on the grill? To yeah, it you charred yeah. off on the grill. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds delicious. amazing. The best it's one I ever so had was made in a rational combi oven. So same kind of idea oh, because yeah. you can adjust the the temperature and humidity, but who has a combi oven? I mean, professional right. kitchens, but like, I don't have one in my house. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Great, great tip. So uh, I also share those with people so that they can find some great culinary resources. Well, yeah, thanks so much definitely. for coming on the show. Thank this was great. Chris. I'm so glad you made time for us. And um, Thank you. I hope it's people, great to talk to you. I hope people follow you and find some inspiration in Greek cooking. I'm a big fan. And like I said, Thank now I'm you. having to do all my own Greek cooking at home if I want it. So well, at least it's grilling season, so you can just put everything on the grill. And we're and grilling go. everything right now. I'm I d- have no desire to heat up the kitchen in my house. Oh gosh, no, no, I know it's so hot. <laughs> so, have you done pizza on the grill? Um, not this summer. So I have in past. I mean, and I I went to culinary school at Johnson and Wales, and in Providence, El Forno is like one of the places. I think they literally invented like the grilled pizza. So I was big on that for a while. I'm really trying to get the technicalities of of pizza cooking. Like I have a baking steel, which I love, and it does really great, especially in the house. Um, a couple mm-hmm. times I put that on the grill, but um, I'm exploring pan pizza a lot. I have trouble pitching my like I make this dough and it's beautiful and I put it on the peel and then I go to throw it and it doesn't slide right and it tears and then you have this big mess but I grew up eating a lot of Greek pizza which is pan pizza Mm -hmm. isn't it Mm -hmm. yeah so where I grew up in my hometown there were no Italian pizza places they were only Greek and it was always like that somewhat greasy crispy pan pizza I think it came from Detroit I think it was like the Greeks in Detroit who did that and then it kind of spread across uh, the US but so yeah that's, I, that's what I grew up I love that I, love I don't that. like that kind of chewy doughy with the flour residue no, pizza it's, it's like the crispy crust like, yeah so I best. bought some really awesome uh, Lloyd's pans make these amazing uh, like stick resistant um, pizza pans in all different shapes oh. and sizes. And they're really awesome, high quality. So this summer I've exclusively been working on those. I was using like quarter sheet pans and half pans, you know, but mm-hmm. they, war- they warp under high temperature because they're not really made to go in a, a hot oven. That baking still gets to like 900 degrees, but yeah. these pans are awesome. So just like a light coat oh. of oil and make your dough and then you don't have to worry about pitching it or anything. And you just build it in the pan, throw it on the baking steel and then take it out and put it back in, you know, uh, for like two minutes just to crisp up the bottom. 
Oh, I have to check that out. That sounds yeah. amazing. I've got recipes. I can point you in the right direction for both pan, pans and pan pizzas. And But yeah, so that's what I loved. I grew up with those like Greek pan pizzas. So Detroit okay. Greek, huh? Interesting. Yeah. I have a lot of family from Detroit, so I'm always there eating. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I could, okay. I could eat pizza every day. Thanks again for coming on the show. This was Thank fantastic. Thank you, Chris. This is so fun. Thank you. So to all our listeners, this has been the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media platforms. Thanks and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.